Hey, skeptics. Did you know that when I'm not podcasting, which I admit is not very often, I teach kindergarten? No? Well, now you do. And I bet you also didn't know that one of the best parts of my job, as far as I'm concerned, is singing nursery rhymes and little songs with the children. Not only do they love it, but it also brings back so many fantastic memories of my own childhood, sitting with my mum and my sister and reading from our giant nursery rhyme book. But it's no secret that nursery rhymes can have some really nasty origins from war to slavery and everything in between. Those cutesy little numbers that many of us will have beautiful memories of singing as children are about some of the most twisted events in history. I'm Juliana, and you're listening to The Skeptical Historian. One of the most famous nursery rhymes in the English-speaking world, along with its accompanying action game, is Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie. It's usually sung a little bit like this. Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie, a pocket full of posy, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. And usually children will sing this rhyme as they are dancing in a circle and they love nothing better than all falling down, let me tell you. Now, this rhyme is often assumed to be about the bubonic plague outbreak of 1346, better known as the infamous Black Death. For seven years, bubonic plague raced across three continents, Europe, Asia and Africa, and left absolute carnage in its wake. It killed approximately a third of Europe's total population. And across those three continents, historians believe anywhere from 75 to 200 million people died across this outbreak. And Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie supposedly remembers this dreadful time, a ring-like rash that would appear on the victim's body. The posy, which was a small sack of dried flowers and herbs, to try and hide the stench of dead bodies. The coughing, sneezing and spluttering of the dying (coughs) until, finally, we all fall down. Interestingly though, given the widespread acceptance of this interpretation, folklorists say it's actually almost entirely fictional, believe it or not. First of all, the symptoms are all wrong. Bubonic plague doesn't start with a ring-like rash. And while people did use posies to try and combat the smell and fight the disease, of course in the Middle Ages it was believed that bad air could spread disease, posies were generally stored around the home rather than carried in people's pockets or on their person. Although we do know that plague doctors did sometimes have them in those very creepy bird-like masks they wore. When it comes to a tissue, a tissue, someone coughing, bubonic plague does not generally cause coughing. That is pneumonic plague. Now, both were present in the outbreak of 1346, but the pneumonic variant was quite a bit less common, which is surprising as it's actually often more contagious given it spreads by droplets. 
where bubonic plague was spread by some people will say rats, but there's more and more evidence pointing to the lice that lived on the rats and, of course, lived on people in this time. But even more compelling than the fact that the symptoms described in this nursery rhyme don't match those of bubonic plague, the idea that ring a ring a rosy is about Black Death in the first place didn't come about until after the Second World War. By that point, by 1945, the rhyme itself was at least 200 years old, quite possibly older. Folklorists are quite sure it was being sung and danced to long before, but we don't have a lot of records of it prior to 1770. The first written version from the 1770s actually comes to us from the United States, and it goes like this. Ring a ring a rosy, all around the posy, red bird, blue bird, all bow down. And at the end of the rhyme, the boys would bow, the girls would curtsy, and the last child to do so would become the posy, which the children would then dance around. So quite different from the idea that this is a song commemorating the horrors of the Black Death. But then this is often the case with nursery rhymes. There is generally an accepted story of their origin, but when folklorists examine it, they actually find no or very little supporting evidence. And the rhyme itself often predates the most popular origin story. Like with Ring a Ring a Rosie, the older the rhyme, the harder it is to know where it came from. And even then, we're often at the mercy of chroniclers when looking for the origins of nursery rhymes. And they may have been less interested in recording actual history and more interested in theatre or perhaps putting forward a view that was more sympathetic to their own beliefs. This was quite common in England during the reigns of Henry VIII and then later his children, Edward, Mary and Elizabeth. Often, depending on which religion a person or a chronicler was, whether they were Catholic or Protestant, depended on what they wrote down and what they wrote as the origin of any particular event, custom or idea. But when it comes to nursery rhymes, there are some, usually more modern ones, which have got a very clear origin point. For instance, the famous North American rhyme Lizzie Lizzie, which goes like this. Lizzie, Lizzie took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Rather grisly, but it's one such example of a rhyme where we can definitively pinpoint the origin. This rather gory ditty tells only a mildly exaggerated version of the story of Elizabeth Borden, who was accused of murdering her father and stepmother with an axe in 1892. Now, Elizabeth Borden was acquitted, although her guilt or innocence remains a hot topic to this day. And this nursery rhyme was actually composed in the early 1890s, so probably during her trial, and makes it quite clear what the prevailing attitude of the public was despite her acquittal. If you're interested in hearing more about Elizabeth Borden, I don't have time to go into it today, but definitely something that I may be looking at in the future. I highly recommend you check out the podcast Lady Killers with Lucy Worsley. Incidentally, Lucy Worsley is one of my favourite historians. That's produced by BBC Sounds and she did an episode about Elizabeth Borden in season one. And now let's talk about the song The Lion and the Unicorn. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all around the town. Some gave them white bread. 
Some gave them brown, some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. And when he had beat him out, he beat him in again. He beat him three times over, his power to maintain. The lion and the unicorn are heraldic symbols of England and Scotland, respectively. And together they form part of the coat of arms of the United Kingdom. The nursery rhyme is often believed to be about the 1707 Act of Union, which saw Scotland join the United Kingdom of England and Wales, thus creating Great Britain. In the modern day, it won't surprise you to know that this act is becoming increasingly contentious in Scotland, especially following Brexit, which was hugely unpopular in that country. And it's also being pointed out, and this is a well-known fact, but it's becoming more and more relevant as more and more people question it. The Act of Union was passed in incredibly dubious and quite possibly illegal circumstances to begin with. But that's another topic for another day. However, only the third verse of that song, the verse about beating him three times over and in and out again, actually dates from this time. It was written in 1708. The original first two verses about the lion and the unicorn fighting around the town and being given bread and pudding and sent on their way are almost 100 years older than the Act of Union. They were composed around 1603 is the first time we see a reference to them. And folklorists believe this is also probably the time they were first sung rather than just being written down here. Because in 1603, King James VI of Scotland succeeded the English monarch Elizabeth I to become James I of England and Scotland. The symbolic thrashing of the unicorn by the lion is believed to be a reference to James's decision to base himself permanently in England after becoming king. This was despite having lived in Scotland for more than 35 years and he would spend the rest of his life, which was a further 22 years, in England and only return to Scotland once in that period. It's also worth noting, and some historians and folklorists absolutely have, that it was during James's reign that the first serious attempts were made to suppress the Gaelic language and the culture of the Scottish Highlands. It is still debated how much James knew or approved of these actions, though for the record I think it utterly improbable that he wasn't at the very least aware of it. And some have speculated that this is what the song is alluding to, the lion of the British coming in and trying to destroy the culture of the Scottish represented by the unicorn. Folklorists are doubtful though, as the Highland clearances in this period, and there would be others moving through history, they got increasingly more brutal, were not being perpetrated by the English against the Scottish, but rather by lowland Scots against the Highlanders. So there were two quite distinct cultures in Scotland at this period in time. And as we know, unfortunately, different cultures sometimes rather than looking at their differences as something to be celebrated, something to be looked at as what makes them unique and learning about them, they just decide to go and destroy them. So that is a common, common occurrence throughout history. And unfortunately, it hasn't been consigned to the historical dustbin either. It still happens today. But back to our discussion here, folklorists believe that this interpretation that the lion and the unicorn is about the highland clearances of the 1600s is much more likely to be modern given it was not England against Scotland at that particular moment. Nursery rhymes illustrate just how myth and history intertwine 
And it's these stories which tend to endure. No one cares that Ring-A-Ring-A-Rosie isn't really about the Black Death because it makes such a wonderful story. Doesn't matter that Lizzie Borden was acquitted of murder because the rhyme is so much fun to chant. While the connection between the Act of Union and the Lion and the Unicorn is tenuous at best, it does give an otherwise depressing story a ring of nationalist resistance. And that's where I'm going to end today's uh, special mini bonus episode of The Skeptical Historian. Of course, there are literally dozens and dozens of other nursery rhymes we could discuss, but I am going to leave it there. If you have a favourite nursery rhyme whose origin stories you would like to share or if you want to know if the story you've heard is true. If you speak another language other than English and would like to share the origin stories of some nursery rhymes from your country or in your language, I would love to hear from you. You can always find me online you can either head to my website, www.skepticalhistory.com. That's skeptical with a K, where you can click on the contact me form and send me an email. Alternatively, you can reach me on social media. I am Juliana Byers on both LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful fairy day. If you do celebrate, I'd love to hear how, and we'll talk again soon.